As I mentioned, tonight we're going to be looking at the topic of justification and adoption. And we're also going to be looking into um, missions. And just, I believe, a week ago, I show a clip of the different missions um, places that I visited two, um, two weeks ago when I visited Costa Rica and Panama and, and Peru. As many of you know, our mission min, uh, ministry is called Spanish Mission Builders. And it started in Venezuela and then it expands. So tonight, at the end of our presentation, we're going to have a special announcement to give. But before that, I would like you to watch this. When I was 10 years old, the Great Commission came to me. Since the day Jesus commanded, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, the Great Commission was not only created, but continued through the centuries. It personally reached into the life of a young boy through an influential missionary to Costa Rica. An American missionary had started a church in our neighborhood, and there's where I was able to know about Jesus, got saved, and right, a little after that, right out of high school, get trained in ministry. Over the past 10 years, God has called, trained, and sent Ray Edwards and his family to establish a fruitful ministry in Venezuela. God enabled them to plant several churches and establish a seminary that is intent on training young men to gain a vision for taking God's word to their own Spanish-speaking countries. What began as a ministry based in Venezuela branched out into several neighboring countries in South America. Not only have natives received salvation, but churches have been planted. The work doesn't stop here. God began doing exceedingly abundantly beyond all Ray and his family could ask or think in 2012. Through a series of circumstances, the Lord began Spanish mission builders. He started by highlighting Panama as a central location with easy access to many different South American countries. Ray's vision is to see men taught, equipped, and sent to every Latin American country with the primary goal of seeing individuals and churches capture the vision of the Great Commission. With the ministry already established and growing, further support is needed in order to bring God's harvest to Latin America. Being in Panama, in three different locations, the Kuna Indians, the city, and the mountains in Cherokees have proved to be perfect location to give our students a feel of different fields in the work of missions. And this training ground have been fruitful in training young men from Venezuela, from Ecuador, and in Panama, and from this strategic location to be able to go to other countries in Latin America and even here in the United States. The work of the Great Commission that is already being done through Spanish mission builders is not an individual calling or a one-man ministry. God is continuing to extend this ministry to other faithful disciples that are co-laboring to see Spanish mission builders grow. You too can become a part of this ministry through prayer and financial support. Through your prayers 
and financial support, you're not only partnering with the Edwards family, you've been a part of a bigger endeavor to reproduce in each Latin American country the strategy, the principle, and the vision of Spanish mission builders to see the Great Commission reproduce in the life of individuals and churches. We need your help for this. God is already blessing this ministry, and we want to see more accomplished for His honor and His glory. Even tonight, as you notice, I have with me um, a couple from Venezuela that has been that is, is been with us in Atmosaic and uh, for the last, I would say, month or so. Uh, Carlos and Josdel, they're back there. I know Carlos for at least uh, 15 years, 13 to 15, 13 to 14 years. You know, Anger, that being with us here be before. I know you for how long? 15 years? Tired of you. But anyway, <laughs> I'm kidding. For 15 years and so on. So later on, after the um, end of in the presentation, there will be an announcement where you, if you would like to, get to know more about Spanish mission builders. But let's go to what the issue of tonight is. Justification. Justification. What does it mean? What does it mean? To declare righteous. To declare righteous. Justification is an act of God whereby he pronounces a sinner to be righteous. Because of that sinner's faith in Christ. No one on their own can be self-proclaimed just or justified before God. There's not a person that on their own can fulfill this or can have that declaration. This is only something that God himself can do. Justification, properly said, is has to do with God's declaration. Actually, it's almost like a legal term. God's declaration about the sinner, not any change per se, in the sinner, in the sinner himself. Go to Romans, if you would please, chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. I will begin reading in verse 21. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all of them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Look at verse 26. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believe in Jesus. You know, for a sinner 
for me as a sinner to have the righteousness of a holy God placed on me is just, if you think about it, it's just mind-blowing and just amazing to think about. Just amazing to consider. Because there are some important facts about justification that one has to note it that we could take out of that passage. And these are just a few. Number one, justification comes apart from the law. That is, we cannot earn justification through rule keeping our own good works. We cannot, as I said, earn justification through rule keeping our own good works. Coming from a, you know, Latino country and maybe the same for many here. Um, I remember when I was growing up, close to the month of August, we celebrate the month of the Virgin and Virgin Mary. And many folks during those days will have promises made to God or to the Virgin and ask the Virgin to help them with their promises with, with God. And they will pay um, their dues in order to obtain favor by doing or following some rituals. Some will walk for miles on their knees to the temple to obtain favor. I remember growing up also, uh, not necessarily a, fa- a family that was of the Catholic leaning, but actually evangelical, that believe that they have to set uh, or follow a set of rules in order to obtain God's favor. That is, you skip one of these rules, you have to go and Receive Jesus again as your Savior and repent of your sins and get baptized. And it was so, I remember one of my friends who, who lived in that home, it was so hard on him because he was never good enough. He was never good enough. Romans chapter, chapter 3 tell us that he declared, in verse 25, who God has set forth to be the procession, talking about Jesus Christ, through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of her sin. The second thing that is important to see in this um, in justification is that justification is made possible in the sacrificial death of Christ. It is based on the shed blood of Christ. The Bible says that without remissions of sin, without the shedding of blood, there is no remissions of sin. It is because of Jesus giving his blood in sacrificial, in sacrifice for all who believe that justification can take place. Justification is the free and gracious gift of God. Don't you like that? (laughs) It's the free and gracious gift of God bestowed on those who receive by faith the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You know, thank God salvation is free. Thank God there is absolutely nothing we can do to obtain it. Thank God that there is not possible 
a possible way that mankind can declare themselves righteous and set by trusting in Jesus Christ. And thank God that Jesus Christ is the perfect and was and is today the perfect sacrifice. That perfect Lamb of God, according to John the Baptist, as he declared, the Lamb of God who take it away the sins of the world. That free and gracious gift of God that is bestowed on anyone who believes the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's also justification demonstrates the righteousness of God. Could you imagine that we will be a, that we were a, that we could 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 be able to add something to our salvation? What would that say about God? What would that say about a holy God? What would that say about his righteousness? What actually God is saying, listen Ray, you cannot do nothing to save yourself. I have to do it all. I will pay it all. And I will bestow my righteousness on you because there's absolutely nothing you can do to be righteous before me unless I make you righteous. Justification then When God does that, as you go to Romans again in chapter 3, do something to the person who believes, or add something to the person who believes. The person who believes, God's justification that relates to a sinner in several ways. I'm going to give you four. Number one, the remission of the penalty of sin, which was death. Nowadays, we live in a, in a, a society that people talk about their rights and what I deserve. I remember years ago, we went on a vacation and we went to a resort. You've been to, a, you've been to one of these resorts, all-inclusive resorts? They're good. They're really good. And... You know, we save up. I remember we save up that year because we wanted something special in the room. Can anybody guess what I wanted in my room? Something special. Something that throw bubbles. A jacuzzi. I wanted a jacuzzi in my room. And we got there and the jacuzzi was there and we, I got into the jacuzzi and ah, and this is why we say someone back there is going like this. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> like the jacuzzi. Are we tempted to say, oh, this is the life I deserve. But you know what? We truly deserve. We truly deserve to be condemned to hell. Because our sin is so grievous towards God that my sin, the penalty for my sin was that. And not just the physical death that we know will come, which is also part of the consequences of sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, their death passed on to all of us. Then this, this body began to decay. And part of the punishment of that, that this body, the perfect body that God, that God created at the beginning was going to die. But the spiritual death, that eternal separation from God, 
that eternal displacement because of my condition, not able to have that fellowship with my God. But because of justification, that penalty is removed. Romans 3.23, we read, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And first Peter, first Peter chapter two, verse twenty-four, who his own self bearer sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Is because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because of his stripes, I am healed, and so do you. Secondly, related to the sinner, justification gives us the restoration to God's favor, which has been lost due to our sin. And this is actually connected with the topic of adoption, because now our relationship is restored. I know it's hard to believe this, but before I knew the Lord, before God made me know him and opened my heart to him, the Bible said that I belonged to a family and it was not God's family. Anybody can tell me what family I belong to? The devil's. The devil's family. Say, so, oh no, that's important. Yeah, that's what John chapter 8, verse 44 says. We were part of his family. His desires is who we wanted to do. We were, we were children of death, children of wrath, controlled and slaved by our flesh. But because of justification, the restoration of our relationship with God is obtained. John 3.36 Speak of he that believed on the Son had everlasting life, and he that believed not the Son shall not see life, but the what? The wrath of God abide on him. The wrath of God abide on him. Literally speaking, a person without Jesus, a person that does not know Jesus, is walking. In the, in the wrath of God is already condemned according to John chapter 3 because they don't believe. Justification is more than an acquittal. It's just by saying someone is innocent. It's, so, it's more than just saying someone is innocent and it's more than saying that someone, their sins are, for, are, for, are forgiven. Justification is more than that. Think about this if you would please. When I am made righteous, it's not just that I'm forgiven, it's not just that I'm acquitted, but I have, I have been made just by the Holy God. His righteousness through his son is placed on me. That is just, that is more than just being called innocent. That is being, 
called or been made righteous. Something that you and I in our own flesh could never, never accomplish. And that transaction, that transaction was made just by faith in Jesus. Go to John, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 4, if you would please. The third, keep it in Romans chapter 4, the fourth thing. The third thing, the imputation of righteousness, which is the reckoning of Christ, righteousness to our account. Romans chapter 4. Verse 5 through 8. And I read. But to him that worketh not, but believe on him that justified the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Blessed is the man who the Lord will not impute sin. Do you know? that we were spiritually bankrupt before God. We could not offer anything in order to save ourselves. He, he did it all. He did it all. But to him that work not, but believe on him that justify the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. It's all about the faith. It's all about the faith. The one who produced that saving faith that makes us believe in the only one who can save. To be righteous, forensically speaking, or legally, God made him to be sins for us. Talking about Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. Jesus took upon himself the sin of us all. The one that was with no sin. So by putting our faith in him, we could be made righteous before God. And I'll tell you what. It had to be this way. Because there were no other way possible for justification for an individual, a sinner, to be just. Unless it will be this way. Romans chapter 5 verse 9. It says, much more than... Be now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. And again in Romans chapter 4 verse 25. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. The perfect work of Jesus Christ is the one that makes us righteous. The perfect and complete work of Jesus Christ is the one that gives us justification. But there's a question that arises, and this is the question. 
Is justification just? If he's holy, how can God forgive a guilty sinner? If the requirements of God is holiness and he is holy, is justification just? How can he forgive a guilty sinner? Because let's be clear about this. We still have faith. We have faith in Jesus Christ. But do we still sin? Of course we do. So how this can be just? Our sin was fully punished. Because Jesus paid it all. Our sin was fully punished. He was our substitute. What you and I deserve, he took upon himself. What was coming or should have come my way, he took it upon himself. He took my place. He took the punishment. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, we read, For Christ also had once suffered for sins, that just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. The just for the unjust. He once suffered. I mean, those little details in the Bible are so, are so important. In that verse where it says, he once suffered. He's not going to die on the cross again. He's not going to be born of a virgin again. He's not going to, you know, walk through to Golgotha again. He's not going to be buried again. He's not going to resurrect again. He did it all once for all and it's enough and it was sufficient and it's complete. Our sin was fully punished. The wrath of God is satisfied in Christ. The wrath of God is satisfied in Christ. This famous, um, this not famous, but very known scripture in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, where the prophet Isaiah speaks of what was going to happen of the suffering Messiah. And remember when he met, when on the way Philip met the eunuch, he was reading this passage and he was, and, 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 the, and the eunuch was wondering, is the prophet is saying this about himself or about some other? And Philip took the time, he went on that chariot and explained to, to him, Jesus the Messiah and the account of what happened in, in, in Jerusalem. And when he finally understood the word of God, the prophecy and Isaiah, he said, stop the car, there is water. What impede for me to be ba- baptized? And Philip said, is your belief Jesus is the Christ? The God said, I believe. They went down to the water and he got ba- baptized. Let's read Isaiah. Um, let me go back. 
chapter 53, verse 4 through 6. Surely he had borne our grief and carried our sorrows, and yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The iniquity of us all. Our sin was fully punished. Why? Today, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, because of the work of Jesus, we are free from condemnation. We are free from condemnation. Could you imagine you and I had a death sentence? You and I had a death sentence. And there were no hope for us but to go to the gallows and let the punishment be carried out. Because there was a death sentence and you and I, because of our sin, our sin nature, not one particular sin, just because we were sinners and we are sinners. And that death sentence was there. But the day by the grace of God, you and I believe in Jesus we were free from that condemnation. We were transported, literally, from hell into the heavenly places. From being condemned into the family of God. From being a slave that will die eternally condemned to walk free, to worship as a son O daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God remains, and God remains both fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus his son. God remains fair and just. Let's read Romans chapter 5, verse 18, please. Romans chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, and of course he's talking about Adam, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. By the obedience of one, many made righteous. A man was in the courtroom accused of a grief offense. And he had a choice. He either had to pay 
a thousand dollars fine or spend six months in jail. The judge declare you either pay a thousand dollar fine or you're going to spend six months in jail. So this man stood up, asked the judge for uh, the opportunity to speak, and he tell how it was by accident that he committed this crime, this offense, and that he doesn't have the money to pay the fine, to get out. And that his family, he has a wife that is bedridden and oxygen and can't fend for herself and five children from eight years old all the way to one year old that cannot fend by themselves. Is he go to jail? Is he go to jail? His wife that can't take care of himself might die and his children will be left alone and they cannot fence for himself. Please, I beg you for mercy, the man told the judge. The judge and the people in the courtroom were so moved, they start passing a plate of collection. And people start giving. Even the judge gave some. Even the judge gave, gave some. And they counted all to see how much they had. And they had 900 and $99 with 95 cents. Does the judge say it's short? I'm sorry. To jail. As the bailiffs came and, and cuffed him and took, and took him, the man said, hold on. He felt something and he put his hand in his pocket. He found a nickel. He, found, he was so happy. I got a nickel. I got a nickel. Here. Got it. A thousand. I'm free. People in the courtroom start clapping. Even the judge was happy. Now, let me ask you this question. To who, to who or to what you think he will be um, granting credit to his freedom? To the 999 and 95 cents or to the nickel that he found in this pocket? Most likely, the nickel. But you see, with Jesus Christ, there were now 995, 999 with 95 cents or no nickel. We are so bankrupt, we could not do anything or give anything. He Paid it all. He gave it all. Layer righteous. Justification is an act of God whereby He pronounces a sinner to be righteous because of that sinner's faith in Christ. According to one theologian, the root idea in justification is the declaration of God, the righteous judge, that the man who believes in Christ, sinful though he may be, is righteous, is viewed as being righteous because in Christ he has come into a righteous relationship with God. 
properly understood, justification has to do with God's declaration about the sinner, not any change within the sinner. The actual change toward holiness in the sinner occurs with sanctification, which is related to, but distinct from justification. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Several important facts about justification are to be noted. Justification cannot be earned through good works, is made possible in the sacrificial death of Christ, is the free and gracious gift of God given to those who receive Christ's sacrifice by faith and demonstrates the righteousness of God. Related to God's justification of the sinner are several things. The remission of the penalty of sin, which is death. The restoration to God's favor, becoming a friend of God with full acceptance, not just an acquittal. The imputation of righteousness, which is the reckoning of Christ's righteousness to our account. We are justified, declared righteous, at the moment of our salvation. Jesus Christ finished the work required for our justification on the cross. The question arises, is justification just? If he is holy, how can God forgive a guilty sinner? The answer is that justification does not excuse, ignore, or endorse our sin. Rather, our sin is fully punished, Christ having taken our penalty for us. God remains both fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Because God justifies us by grace through faith in Christ, we now have peace with God. Like Joshua the priest, we have been stripped of our filthy clothes. And like the prodigal son in the parable, we are now clothed with the best robe. God the Father sees us as perfect and unblemished, and we are to be devoted to doing what is good. So then, as one trespass, Adam sinned, there resulted condemnation for all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For just as through one man's disobedience, his failure to hear, his carelessness, the many were made sinners. So through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous and acceptable to God and brought into right standing with him. Pastor Crompton, you and I are preparing for something coming in November. What, what, what is that? What are we going to be doing in Queen Islands? Training, teaching um, pastors, laymen, two doctrines. To, Pastor Crompton has been with me on a trip. This will be your second time? To, the third time. The third time. Man, God has given me patience. <laughs> he is actually um, one of the speakers that the Kuna people always ask for. He does, uh, Pastor does a good job as he goes there, and he gives, I believe, more than 20 hours of teaching. Uh, <laughs> okay, let me think about it. <laughs> 
But as we go, I ask you for prayer because we're going to take a boat and go for, for, to our island. And sometimes the boat ride is good, but sometimes boat rides are not so good. Sometimes the weather can be nice and sunny like the Caribbean. And other times, it can be like this. We had good weather all week long. We were able to do all our activities, go to all the islands, preach morning in the afternoon, have services at night, every night. Today we're leaving. We have to leave out of here, get to the city, pack up, hit the airport. And look what awaits us. We on the island, and we gotta take the boat, go over to the other side, get our, get our um, cars, and drive through the mountains, high hills, steep, winding roads, and you can't even see the mountains. Is a storm coming. So this is when you ask for God's protection and safety, really. And we're gonna see what happened. The trip should take us just three hours drive. Under this type of weather, who knows how long it's gonna be. But that's the way and on the mission field. Not only here, but from many, many other missionaries all around the world. That's gonna be exciting, I think. Start praying. <laughs> Uh, brother, adoption to make a person to make a, that person a legal son or daughter. Adoption is one of the metaphors that the Bible uses to explain how Christians are brought into the family of God. Galatians chapter four, is the word please. Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. We're going to read on verse 6 too. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir, <clears throat> sorry, an heir of God through Christ Jesus. An heir of God through Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, if you would please, Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I want to explain something quickly here. You see, in the um, letters of Paul, he uses the metaphor um, of adoption. In the Jew culture, adoption was not really popular because the standing of a person was on the basis of birth. That's why for the Jew people, genealogies was, were so important. When Nicodemus 
a, a, a Jew lead, um, leader came to Jesus, what did Jesus told him was necessary to be part of a God's family? You need to be born again. That was something that Nicodemus would understand. But in Paul's writings, you see over and over, he used the word adoption. Because his audience was more on a, a Roman or Gentile people. In the Roman world, adoption was very common. For us, when we think of adoption, we're thinking about taking a little child and giving and, and bringing them into our family. But in the Roman world, adoption could, could be done even to a person that was an adult person. Even um, older than the person that were adopted him. It's an individual thought that his children was, were not worthy enough to carry out his name and to, and to be ahead of his wealth, he could definitely adopt somebody else and give them all the rights of a legal adult son with everything that that conveyed. We saw that. Have you seen Ben-Hur? Years ago. Kids saying, who is that? But remember this scene? Not long ago, I returned to Rome with a young man who had saved my life. You all know him as the finest charioteer in Rome. Five times he's driven my horses to victory. I know him as one who stands in the place of the son I lost. I have the love and pride in a son's achievements, which I thought I should never have again. Nothing could make stronger the bond between us, but tonight I wish to share it with you all. The formalities of adoption have been completed. Young Arius is now the legal bearer of my name and the heir to my property. This ring of my ancestors would have gone to my son. So now it is yours. Strange destiny that brought me to a new life, a new home, a new father. It brought me here. It may take me away. But wherever I may be, I shall always try to wear this ring as a son of Arius should. With gratitude and affection and with honor.
Let's go back to Galatians chapter 4, if you would please. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 4. Oh, where am I? Okay. Let's begin with verse 1, Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of son. And because you are sons, God has set forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. One of the things that difference the Roman adoption than the one we endure and we have in Jesus Christ is that Christians are not adopted because God thinks that we make worthy heirs. Totally the opposite. God adopt us into our family. He bring us into our family completely unworthy as we are. It's all because on the basis of his grace. It's because of his grace. I bring nothing to him. I can do nothing for it. I have nothing naked, wicked, vile, and because of the grace of God, which I do not merit, today I can call him father and he sees me as his son. Today I stand before him as co-heir with Jesus Christ. Could you imagine who would tell a sinner like me now called a son of God? Unworthy as we are. The word adoption then deals not only with the relationship of God, the Christian to God, but their position before God. Adoption is an act of God whereby he accepts the justified believer as an adult son who can enjoy the privilege and responsibilities of the son of God. And that transaction, what is amazing about this? That transaction is done in the moment the individual believed. The moment you believe. There's no paperwork, no lawyers involved, no fees, no appointments, no signatures. No need for witnesses. It's when you and I believe to be now part of God's family. Look at Lance right here, Junior. 
Who could tell? If you see us on the street, would you think that we're related? Not at all. I got more melanin than him. <laughs> but you know what? We are. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's my brother. That's my brother. And so we ought to see each other like brothers, part of one family, united not by last name or culture or ethnicity, but united because of the grace of God bestowed on all those who believe. Listen to me, that is more important and that is more tight than human blood. For real. For real. I don't know if they watch it, but I'm tighter to you than some of my earthly relatives. And my sister is here where I'm, not, I'm tight to her too. But we're double tight, right, Kathy? By mom and dad and because of Jesus. And we're part of the family. Becoming a child of God requires faith in Jesus Christ. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. The first time a person is born, he inherits the sin nature that stems from Adam's disobedience in the Garden of Eden. No one has to teach a child how to sin. He naturally follows his own wrong desires. Thus, he is a child of disobedience and wrath, and as such, deserves to be separated from God in hell. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. How are we made a child of God? We must receive Jesus by faith. So what must we believe about Jesus? First, the child of God recognizes that Jesus is the Son of God who became man. Born of a virgin through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus did not inherit Adam's sin nature and his perfect obedience brings a blessing. We must turn from sin and seek forgiveness in Christ. Second, the child of God has faith in Jesus as Savior. God's plan was having the cross pay our sin debt. Christ's death frees those who receive him from the penalty and power of sin. His resurrection justifies us. Finally, the child of God follows Jesus as Lord. Jesus leads all who receive him. He will judge all who reject him. By God's grace, we're born again to new life as God's child. Only those who receive Jesus become children of God. Just as we had no part in our natural birth, we cannot cause ourselves to be born into God's family by doing good deeds or conjuring up faith of our own. God is the one who gave the right to become a child of God. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. A child grows up to look like his parents. Similarly, God wants his children to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Although only in heaven will we be perfect, a child of God will not habitually, unrepentantly sin. Jesus spoke to the unrepentant. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. 
The child of God, on the other hand, no longer craves the gratification of sin, but desires to know, love, and glorify his or her father. The rewards of being a child of God are immeasurable. As God's child, we are part of his family, promised a home in heaven, and given the right to approach God in prayer. Respond to God's call to repent of sin and believe in Christ. Become a child of God today. Are you a child of God? Amen? Amen. So you can say we are adopted into this one family. And, and it's all because of faith. Faith. That working faith that give us this great standing before God. I want to end tonight with an invitation. And October the 27th is a Thursday night. October the 27th. We're going to have a reception for, any, for those who would like to attend. My wife will be outside with a, with a, um, with a sign-up sheet, and it will be announced in church. Spanish Mission Builders, or Mission Ministry, is going to hold a reception where you may come and know more about the ministry, know how you can better pray, know how can you be a part, know how can you support, know what the ministry does, and what's happening in those different countries that I visit and the people I partner with. There were, there were time for question and answers. You're going to have testimony from pastors who I've worked with for the last 20 years. Um, people on the field going to call in or zoom in to be able to give their testimony and also to share with us. And that night, I'm going to feed you, but you must come. <laughs> it's going to be a, a t October the 27th. It's a Thursday night at 7 o'clock. And uh, we're going to have a reception. We're going to have some food, most likely food from those different countries that I visit. So don't expect burgers or french fries or, you know, or, or, or wings. We're not going to have that. Uh, and okay, pastor, we're not going to have oxtail. So don't worry about that. All right? Because I know he doesn't like it. Yeah. It's going to be here. It's, it's, it's going to be here. It's going to be in the... Um, in the fellowship hall. So if you would like to come, you can invite others. There are people out there that are looking to partner with something that is um, a, a, word, a worldly cause. And uh, what is more worthy than spreading God's good news to all these different nations? So I want to invite you to come. If you feel God let you to come and, and spend that, uh, that hour with us, you are invited. Okay, so you can sign up, you can start signing up tonight. Let's close in prayer, if you would, please. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much because you give us justification. We are part of your family, and it's all because of Jesus Christ. It's all because of all good he is. It's all because of his perfect, complete work. Thank you, Lord, because on that cross... You were thinking about me. You were thinking about every single person here. And thank you. Because through your resurrection, conquering death and sin, you make us also be part of that victory. We pray, God, that we could, we could take this message and continue to take these 
this message. Not only here in Hamilton and Trenton and the place that we minister to locally, but we continue to take this message, this gospel truth to the entire world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.